You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like to encourage you to open to the book of Psalms. Psalm 85 is what we'll be looking at this morning. There's quite a bit to look at there in that psalm, and so we'll just be uh, honing in on just a few verses right near the end, verses 8 through 10. It's like what what I'd like us to spend our attention on this morning. In many ways, I think this psalm fits very well with some of the things that we just heard this morning that we've already been reminded of. Hearing the declaration of the angels to the shepherds, declaring that Jesus had come, and this uh, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And we read here in Psalm 85, verse 8, this, these words, I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, and may they not turn back to foolishness. Certainly his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Graciousness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Let's pray once more. Our God, we pray this morning your blessing on the reading of your word. We pray that as we consider the truths that are here this morning, we would be encouraged to rest in you, to place our trust in you. Help empower us as only you can with your spirit. Bless this time. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in many ways, this psalm here is an Advent-type song. We say Advent. That's a word we throw around sometime at Christmas time. Well, the Advent is, is just the coming of, of something or someone important. And so obviously, we can speak about the coming of Jesus, his first coming and his second coming as a first and second Advent. And there's this sense of anticipation that goes along with that. And so this time, these weeks leading up to the Christmas season are a great opportunity for us to remember who Jesus is, who who this king is, as we anticipate and remember this anticipation and longing that the people of Israel had before Jesus came the first time. And then that has has an echo in our lives now as we continue to anticipate and look for the day when he will return again. And so this is a season to reflect on this longing It's a season for us to sing songs like we just did, like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us, longing for for things to be set right as they are promised in Scripture. There's a word I learned about uh, a little while back, and I looked it up again this week uh, just to to try to remember it. Now, you know, it's uh, learning from the internet. I'm not uh, uh, fluent in the Inuit language. But I read about this word that is iktsuarpak. And again, I'm trusting the internet for uh, pronunciation. But that's how it is. That's, how, that's, uh, that's the word, iktsuarpak. And this word, I-K-T-S-U-A-R-P-O-K, is the feeling of anticipation while waiting for someone to arrive. So you know that feeling when you've cleaned the house, you've got everything ready, you're having company coming over, and then you keep like checking the window to see if they're here yet? Are they here yet? Is this, are we ready? You open up the door, maybe you go outside, you look around a little bit. The Inuit have a word for this, and this is the word, iktsuarpak. That is sort of the feeling that I think we're trying to get at a little bit when we're thinking about this, the coming of Jesus. We should have this expectation. 
we should know, even you and I, living here in 2021, that Jesus is coming again. At any time, he could be coming again. We anticipate that he will come and he will set things right. But this is also a time for us to rejoice that he has already come, that his rule is already in force. And it's, it's, in, it's in small but powerful ways. It's in, it's in invisible but real ways. And so as a church, we've taken a few weeks leading up to Christmas to consider together who this king is. Who is this king that we're waiting for, that we're longing for? We considered uh, last week Jesus as the king of joy. This week, we are thinking about Jesus as the king of peace. And it's one of the things that's declared all along the way in the Christmas narrative, like we just said in Luke 2, uh, peace among men. This peace is something that we hear thrown around so often at Christmas time. It shows up in, in even uh, secular type Christmas songs where there's a, a longing for peace in the world, for there to be no more conflict. But the peace that we have here is so much more. So this is, this is a psalm that fits so well for us this morning. And it fits because it's a song, it's a song of anticipation and of longing. The very first verses that we didn't read, they look back to the time when God restored favor to Israel by bringing them out of Egypt and, and rescuing them. You showed favor to your land and restored the fortunes of Jacob. It's recalling past times when God has been faithful. And then bringing on uh, into to, to the present, it says in verse four, restore us, God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? The prayer here is, Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. We don't know exactly which time Israel would have been dealing with here. It could be a prayer, and it almost certainly was a prayer that was sang and prayed during the time when they were in Babylon longing to be restored. But it could be somewhere along the way. We see similar Psalms right around here talking about times when enemy invaders had come in and destroyed the temple. And these sons of Korah were longing for the temple to be restored. We're longing for the, for the Lord to return and to bring about his salvation. And we know along the story of scripture that this desire for the salvation of God carries right through to the very end of the Old Testament when they're longing for God to return and be with them the way that they were before. And that's, that's the anticipation that's there. When we begin the New Testament, with the birth narratives of Jesus, hearing about what was going on, hearing about the, uh, the oppression in the land, hearing about all of the things that Israel was dealing with under, under Roman rule. And they were longing for God to return the way that he had before. And that's the prayer of this psalm. It is a prayer of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, restore, uh, show us your mercy. Grant us your salvation. It's a plea. It's a struggle to hear what the Lord says. 
But the verses for us to focus on this morning are beginning in verse 8, where it says, I will hear what the Lord God will say, for he will speak peace to his people. There is only one thing that I want us to hear this morning. We could, we could almost just say it and go home, but we need some time to unpack what it means. I've, I have, as I considered these passages, as I considered these three verses, there is one application for us this morning, and we're going to explore it in some different ways. There's only one. Hear it now. Brothers and sisters, we need to listen to the voice that speaks peace. Listen to the voice that speaks peace. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. That's what you and I need. We need to have this sort of confidence. What we see here in this part of the psalm is a turning from that desire, that longing, that anticipation toward a confidence of hearing the voice of the Lord, hearing the guarantee of the hope of the work that he is doing and he has promised to do. You and I have the opportunity now after Jesus has come to live in the reality of the presence of the King of Peace in our lives, but we don't hear his voice. We listen to other voices that disturb the peace, that create conflict, that that bring about more and more trouble in our lives that are contrary to the King of Peace. And there's no shortage, like we said, of talk about peace at Christmas time. I hear so much about the stress that goes along with holiday planning and everything else. It's a busy, stressful time for so many of us. That's not peace, not what it's meant to be. In, in the work that I do outside of the church, uh, I work with the homeless, and I always, I'm always a little bit amazed by one thing that we see is right around the holidays, a little dip where people let people come back to the, to the, the cousin or so-and-so. They'll let somebody come back and stay for a few days, but it doesn't last. After the holiday's over, they come right back into the shelters. Because what was holding them together, what created that, wasn't any sort of real lasting peace. It was a, a feel-good nostalgia about Christmas time. Oh, this is the time, not at Christmas. We don't live with that sort of king who shows up once a year at Christmas time to bring peace. Jesus, our king, is here and present in our lives all year and at all times. And we should be able to live hearing his voice and living in the reality of what he has done for us, this king of peace. But the call to peace in the New Testament is high. Think with me about some of the places where you hear about peace in the New Testament. We can think about it in places like where Jesus says not to worry about uh, tomorrow, not to worry about all of the, 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 uh, what you will wear and what you will eat and those sorts of things. He says, don't worry. He says, look at the birds. They're not worried. But rather than having uh, peace in our lives, we, we have this, this worry, this stress, this anxiety. We see other places like uh, conflict where Jesus tells his people, if, if someone strikes you on one cheek, what do you do? 
you turn to him the other one and let him strike that one too. And you and I in our, in our flesh, we say, what? No, I'm going to hit his other cheek. But that's not what we're after. Rather, instead, the call to peace in the New Testament is high. So how do we live this way and how do we do this? How do we hear the voice of, that speaks peace? Well, there's some things that, this, that these verses tell us about this. The first thing that we get to see is that if we're going to be the sort of people who can listen to the voice that speaks peace, then we must be the sort of person who can hear it. Listen to what it says. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. And may they not turn back to foolishness. Certainly his salvation is near to those who fear him. We hear a lot of things about the people who God is speaking to right here in these verses. Look at it right at the beginning. We say, I will hear. Do you hear that? That determination, that confidence. I will hear what God will say. I will listen. Is that how you approach your time with God? Is that how you approach your prayer life? Do you grab this book in the morning or whenever you read it and say, I'm not leaving until I hear what God has to tell me today? Because he does speak. His voice is speaking to us. But he speaks to those who have this sort of determination to hear what he will say and to to be ready to listen to it. So the first characteristic of somebody who will be the sort of person who can hear this voice that speaks peace is this sort of determination. But we can also see something else about them. He will speak peace to who? To his people. He speaks peace to those who belong to him. Each of these, uh, um, we see all through the Bible ways that, that the that God's people are the recipients of his voice. He speaks to them. And you and I are God's people if we are a part of the church. If we've trusted in him, then we are in Christ. We belong to God. And those are the sorts of people who he is speaking to, who can hear his voice. Another thing that it says is that they are his godly ones, emphasizing they're his people, they're his godly ones. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, It doesn't mean that that only perfect people can hear this. But nevertheless, people who are being transformed by God's work in our hearts and God's spirit in our lives will begin to be characterized more and more by who God is. When people look at us, they, they, they see God. They see his character. They see us reflecting his joy and his peace in our lives and in our actions. These these, uh, recipients of the voice that speak peace are also wise. What do I mean by that? Where do I see that here? There's There's two phrases. There's two words here that it says. It says, and may not turn back to foolishness or folly. And the very next verse contrasts it saying, saying, certainly his salvation is near to those who fear him. All through Proverbs and Psalms and the wisdom literature of the Bible, we have this exact contrast. 
We have the contrast of those who fear the Lord. That's the beginning of knowledge, fearing of God. And on the other hand, when we don't do that, we turn aside into folly, into foolishness, living our own way, chasing after our, our desires and those things, the things of the world. And so the call here is, is one of wisdom. It's one that begins with those who fear God. Now, when we say fear God, it's one of those things that we talk about sometimes. We're not simply talking about like a haunted house type experience. That's not what we mean when we talk about God. But we are talking about the recognition of, of the glory and the majesty of God, such that this is, this is someone who we can't just treat lightly. The way that we, we might fear uh, fire or something like that, where it has amazing uses. It's an amazing gift that God has given, but you shouldn't take it lightly because it will destroy you. Our God, we are told in other places, is like a consuming fire. And we should fear him, recognizing who he is. And then our response recognizes who we are in light of that. We're not significant. We don't have anything to bring apart from what he gives, apart from what he's bestowed on us, apart from what his work in our lives. And so really, we can see here that the people who God is speaking to are those who have faith in him. These are people whose, the, the posture of our hearts and of our lives is one that recognizes who we are before God. And we, we find our our place there. This is tied to who we see God is and who we are. It's tied to faith. You can look with me together briefly at Philippians chapter three, chapter four, for another, for just a great, I think, New Testament example of what's playing out here. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, we read this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is, this is an example of the same thing that we're talking about here in Psalm 85. We can see here this by prayer and pleading, this determination to come to God with the difficulties, to come to God with the conflict, to come with him with our anxieties, to come with him with the things that are breaking peace in our lives. And then the guarantee, the promises here that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a, a sort of almost like a conversation. It is a conversation. It's us speaking to God, our worries and our anxieties. And then it's us listening to him speaking to the voice of peace speaking back to our lives, to the peace that passes all comprehension, the peace that accompanies the salvation of the Lord. 
Could it be that part of the reason that we lack peace in our lives is that we're taking part in the wrong conversations? And I don't mean just the conversations that we're having with people day, day to day, although that might play into it. I mean, what are, the, what, are the, what are the things that we are saying to ourselves and to one another? Are, are we simply telling ourselves, well, I, I'm just, I'm so busy and I just need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this. I got to take care of this and we got to do that. That's the script that we're living out of, that we're playing out of. Instead of bringing the difficulties, bringing them to the Lord to see God's perspective on them, to see what he's calling us to do. Maybe he's calling us to give something up and we're, we're not hearing it. Maybe he's calling us to be able to live even in the midst of all of these things with a a presence of peace that is impossible without his Holy Spirit inside of us at work. What conversation do you have? Do you bring these things to the Lord with confidence that his voice speaks peace? We must listen to the voice that speaks peace. We see next here that to listen to the voice that speaks peace, we should be certain. You can hear this. Certainly, his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. This is certainly or surely in some translations. This is not as if, oh, there's, there's never a doubt but it's, it's not simply a, a kind of wishful thinking. Instead, this is a, the sort of certainty that comes from reflecting on the character of God. I'd like to invite you to turn again with me, if you like, or, or just listen to Exodus chapter 34 briefly. We hear this in in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 4. So he cut two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses got up early in the morning and went up to Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took the two stone tablets in his hand. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses hurried to bow low toward the ground and worship. Many of your commentators will point out that Psalm 85 appears to have many of the elements of of Exodus 34 in it. What we find sometimes in the Psalms and in the the prophetic books of the Bible is that you can almost see the parts of Scripture that they were meditating on or were probably thinking about when they wrote these pieces. And so this, this psalmist here would have some idea of something like Exodus 34 in mind when they're thinking about who God is. And so 
seeing God here in, in the cloud, God writing his very words on a stone in this thing where he's declaring his character, who he is, what he is all about, to where the only response like Moses is one of worship. This sort of glory of God, this certainty of the glory of God dwelling in our land. Do you hear that? Surely, certainly, his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. We read again just, just a moment ago, glory to God in the highest. This is the, the declaration. This is the sort of thing that the angels are saying to the shepherds. When, when Jesus comes to us, the glory of God, the thing that, makes the, the, that made the prophets bow down, the thing that has defeated enemies and destroyed nations, that glory of God is now present among us in a little baby. That is crazy, but it is so beautiful. It is such a wonderful thing to know that that glory, that glorious uh, God has come to us. When we can do nothing to save ourselves, he came for us. We see in so many places this glory of God. And this, this glory offers a certainty. By, and it does this by putting everything else in perspective. There is a kind of peace that is uh, sort of wishful thinking. I'll, uh, peace be on you, or we, sometimes we throw the words around, especially around the holidays. But what do we really mean? This sort of thing is not just uh, us wanting something or having a wishful thinking. It's not a kind of uh, me-centered peace that's just focused on, well, maybe my life will be a little easier. Things won't be so busy in 2022. Or maybe something will change. I'll feel better. That's not really what God is after. Hopefully you will feel more inner peace, but that's a byproduct. We don't come to God just to feel better about ourselves. This isn't about making life easier. This isn't just about feeling less stressed. But the wonderful thing about it is that the more we learn to find our, our joy and our rest in him, we do find that those anxieties and worries diminish. That is, the more that we understand the glory of who God is, the more that that gets... Uh, Currency, the more weightiness that it has in our lives, the less these other things seem to matter in terms of their significance for us. Our goal instead is to find our joy and hope and satisfaction in Christ. Verse 6 in, in Psalm 85 again says, Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? This balancing act is a key piece of understanding how the Christian life works itself out. That we have a reordering of our priorities when we understand the glory of God. When we understand the certainty that this glory has come to live among us. 
and that all of our joy and our rest and our satisfaction can be found in what God has already done for us, not in anything that we have left to do. I want to make this just as clear as possible. We repeat it again and again and again to the point where maybe we, we become numb to it, and I pray that we never do. You and I are born sinners apart from God. We have no claim upon anything. God, in fact, should send us to hell eternally apart from him. But instead of doing that, God sent his son, Jesus, who is fully God. He became fully man to live among us so that he could do the thing that none of us ever could do, which is to fulfill the law of God. And he didn't just fulfill all of the good parts. He also took on the penalty of the law. The curse of hanging on a tree, the curse of dying as a result of sin. He chose to take our sin, to identify with our sin, so that you and I could come to God and know Him, so that we could have this conversation with God, so that we could hear the voice that speaks peace in our lives. He made this possible. All of this reshapes our view of everything. One of the things that I thought of in thinking a little bit about this week, about trying to think in what small, what small pictures do we have about ways that we can reframe our thinking. This last, uh, this last season, the last few months, we had a couple of, of our girls play volleyball. And one of the things about volleyball, of course, is you have, you have three uh, different uh, games. You have three, three uh, that, ma- that make up the whole match, right? So you have the best of three every single time you're playing. Well, one of the things that I was thinking to myself is, what if I could guarantee them that they would win the match, that this game would belong to them? Even if they would lose one of them, they would still be guaranteed to win. If I knew the future and could do that, even in the brokenness, when I see they lose one and they felt terrible because, you know, maybe they missed a, missed a shot, like it should have been, that should have been you, you should have had that. They feel bad about it. If I could guarantee that, yeah, you're gonna, you lost this one, but in the end, you're going to win. How would that begin to reshape and reframe the way that they could play? What kind of certainty and of confidence? I think that's just a, a tiny, tiny example but we see that same sort of thing play out in much more serious ways whenever we attend a, a, the funeral of a, of a Christian or whenever we think about death. You see, when we consider the death of a brother or sister and we think about all that has happened, we recognize that this looks like a victory for death. This looks like this, one, this is one for their column. But we know that death does not win. We know that that conflict doesn't win. We know that the enemy does not win. Sin does not prevail. Instead, Jesus does. 
And we need you and I again and again to hear these reminders. To hear that the king of peace is here. That peace prevails. That that's what we look forward to and that's the reality that we begin to live in even now. We need to hear the voice that speaks peace. For us to listen to the voice that speaks peace, we also need to know what peace means. I've been throwing the word peace around a lot this morning. And maybe we haven't taken quite enough time to be able to unpack what we're talking about when we talk about peace. You know, when the Bible uses the word, the Hebrew word shalom, it doesn't simply mean the absence of conflict. This isn't just, oh, well, no one's fighting right now. Everything's pretty quiet. This isn't the sort of thing that you can get in your house by just telling the kids to shut up for 30 minutes. Right? No one would ever say that, of course, though. Never, ever. <laughs> right? But the temptation to do that, that's to bring about a peace. That's not peace. That's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for 30 minutes of, of quiet. We're not looking for a little bit of the absence of conflict. Instead, what we're looking for is the presence of wholeness. This isn't where there's no justice or there's no, uh, there's no truth. And this is what we see by reading these verses where we see graciousness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. These things that seem to be at conflict we find are not in conflict at all. When there is peace, things are as they should be. Now, of course, we can do that kind of just be quiet for a little bit. We can fake peace. You might, I don't know, have some family member or something that you'll be getting together with for the holidays, and you know there's a specific topic that you will not bring up. I don't know what it is, but you might have that relationship, or maybe you've had it before, where you know we're not going to talk about this thing. Because if we do that, it might get ugly. Fake peace, this sort of pretend peace, can be achieved by maintaining those kind of taboos. Well, just don't, don't talk about it. It can also uh, be obtained by discarding or throwing out justice, pretending like things aren't really that big of a deal. Well, we'll just downplay everything. We'll say, ah, it's not a big deal. I don't care about them anyway. I don't care about what they think of me. Those aren't particularly God-honoring responses. And it won't work for long, especially if, if the effects of, of a conflict or something are ongoing, then that sort of pretending peace is really just a breeding ground for bitterness. It can just be the sort of thing where that will just continue in your heart and in their life. But if we turn back instead and we look here at the character of God, we realize that God isn't like some kind of a, a Lego creation where you can take one part on and then put another part on and then change out the pieces as you want to. That's not how God works. He is fully righteous. He is full of truth. He is gracious. He is merciful. And you can't take one away. 
He will accomplish what he will accomplish, and it will not contradict who he is. That, that is the glory of the gospel. When we look at places like Exodus 34, where we hear simultaneously, God is gracious to his people, but he won't leave the guilty unpunished, and we say, how does that work? This psalmist would have known that that was true about God. That's what, that's what we can see here. They know that God will bring salvation and that graciousness and truth have met together, that righteousness and peace have kissed each other. But what does that look like? Well, you and I can see exactly what it looks like. On the cross, these things are on display perfectly. We see God becoming one of us. We see God showing his grace to sinners while putting his wrath on display on his only son. God taking it on himself. We see perfect justice. We see righteousness. We see God making peace. So if we think about that, and we see that this peace has already been accomplished by Jesus. How do we make sense of this world that we live in? Look around you. This is not a world at peace, right? What's the disconnect? How do we understand that? There's still wars. You can even just look at the church and you can see there's churches everywhere. We see conflict in our own church sometimes. Is this it? Is this perfect shalom? Does this mean that Jesus has failed? That all this talk about the advent of Jesus and his atonement on the cross are worthless? Not at all. Not at all, because we know that there's a time coming when Jesus will set everything right, perfectly and completely. But we also know that he has already declared that he is the king of peace for us. We can see places like in Colossians 3, where we're told to let the peace of Christ to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Do you hear that? This is something that, that Jesus has already accomplished. There is this peace that belongs to Jesus that can rule in the hearts of those who belong to him, of those who listen to him, of those who hear and trust in his voice and what he's done and what he has accomplished. One thing that many of you might not know about me is that way back in the day, uh, some of you from Columbus might remember that we have Columbus, one of the best science centers in the world, in my opinion, right? COSI, if you've been. Well, it used to be on East Broad Street. There was an old one right across the street from the very first Wendy's ever, right? Some of you are from here. You know this. You remember these things. Well, back when it was still there, I used to actually volunteer and I worked at COSI for a long period of time. 
So I was there, and I did a bunch of the shows, and I did some of those things. And there's one that I just remember pretty clearly doing as this example that we would, that we would do sometimes. We'd have a, a, a table, a kind of cart with some different chemicals and some different things on it. And we'd gather a group around and invite some different people, get some volunteers. We'd put on some goggles. And one of the things that we would do is we would take a, take a glass of, of water. And I'd have someone like pour it out of a jug, and so they'd have like a cup of water. And I'd say, okay, here's this cup of water, and I could pour it into another cup and pour it into another one. You could see this is very clearly water. Well, I'd dump a little uh, extra powder into it, stir it up a little bit, and then I would love to take that cup. One of my favorite things was to do this right over top of somebody's head with it. And then everyone would go, ah, thinking that the contents of the cup were going to just go pouring all over the place. But of course, what you, might, you wouldn't know, unless you've been a part of it, was that what I had put into it was sodium polyacrylate. And this is the, the compound that's used in diapers, most commonly. And it's super absorbent. You take a little bit of the stuff and you put it in there, and all of a sudden, now all you have is a caked solid at the bottom of that cup. It's not going anywhere. And so you put that in there and, and dump it out, nothing came back out of it. Because that had absorbed the liquid And in thinking about that this week, I think, I think that can help illuminate two things for us. Number one, it can help illuminate for us the death of Jesus. And it can do that because we realize that while there is real sin and real conflict that deserves real judgment, Jesus has absorbed the wrath of God. And then there's nothing left to pour out. It doesn't come back out onto us or onto somebody else. It stops with him. That's the end of it. And I think that particular reality then plays out for us too. Because if you and I are the sorts of people who can hear the voice of peace speaking to us, if the, if the peace of Christ rules in our hearts and in our lives because of what he has done for us, then in the same way, when conflict or worry or stress or gossip or something that is going to break shalom in our lives hits us, it should be absorbed by us. We don't pour it back out. We don't take, oh, there's so much that people are saying, and I'm just going to pass on that gossip. I'm just going to pass on the worry and the stress to somebody else. Instead, I turn to God, and I ask him for his work in my life. I cast my anxieties on him, because the rule of the king of peace is here. It's possible because he is with us. God's spirit is in us. And you and I now, even though there is still conflict, there is still a, a breaking of shalom in the world, it's possible for us to instead be peacemakers in the world, in our families, in our relationships. That we aren't characterized by, by worry. Instead, we are characterized by peace. And all the things that are coming into us, they don't define us. Instead, it's what's coming out. And that can be changed. That's transformed by the rule of the king of peace in our hearts and in our lives. There's a great uh, summing up of some of these things to be found in verse 11. I didn't include that, but I just want to read it to you real briefly. 
Truth sprouts from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. This is once more this picture of these different attributes of God, these different parts of who he is and what he's doing. But you hear it here. You hear it sprouting from earth and looking down from heaven. That is, there is this moment that this psalmist is is seeing and has confidence in when heaven and earth are, are together with God's righteousness and God's truth, God's graciousness, God's peace. That's the moment that Jesus tells his his disciples, he tells us to pray for when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Heaven and earth on one accord, together. This bringing together of heaven and earth is the very thing that we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. It is that God, who has no business being a part of the sinful world, came here to redeem us. And it is truly a revolution. It's something that many of you have seen already playing out in your lives in so many different ways. You've seen the way that the work of God in your heart has has brought about ways to break the cycles that have happened in your families or in your lives. And all of these little moments, these little graces of God are little bits of anticipation, foreshadowing of the perfection of peace that is to come. And if you're here hearing this this morning and you don't know that peace, you don't know this God, I pray that today would be the day that you would see your sin for what it is, that you see your Savior for who he is. If you're not sure about that, if you're hearing this this morning, grab me, grab Pastor Rush, grab one of the members here and ask about how you can know this today. This is the reality behind why we celebrate and remember Christmas every year. It's this revolution. It's this bringing together of heaven and earth. It's this taking of all of the breaking of sin and instead putting things together, making what was broken whole, No more uh, fake peace, but the very real and lasting shalom, wholeness of God. And you and I can know that by listening to the voice that speaks peace. May that be true of us this morning. Let's pray. Our God... We thank you once again for your grace, for your mercy, for your truth, for your justice, for even your wrath. That you are not a God that will leave the guilty unpunished, but that you are also a God who is gracious and merciful. And you 
have made it possible for all of those things to be true. That you would bring us together to know you. God, I pray that you'll help us to hear your voice. There are so many other voices that we can listen to that tell us that things are wrong, that we are broken, that you have not brought us the hope that you have. And I pray that you'll help us to block those things out, to not hear them, but instead to hear your voice, that we would know you, that we would trust and rest in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.